Bryce Harper is a filly. Clayton Kershaw has a sore arm. And I'm in my first snake draft in 20 years. We'll talk about all of that and more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 1st. It's show number 7 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday news and comment edition for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Bryce Harper going to Philadelphia, Clayton Kershaw going to the trainer's room, and more. And from the American League, Jock Thompson looks at Marwan Gonzalez going to Minneapolis, Urban Santana going to Chicago, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at White Sox pitcher Dylan Cease. And in our Market Watch position preview segment, Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick will be looking at the outfielders. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about some rookie takes on snake mistakes. It's another Big Friday News and Comment Edition. Hey, thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. What do you say? We have games in Florida and Arizona. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday News and Comment Edition, our Market Watch Player News reports, Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League News, and leading off, it's the National League Report, and our old friend, Baseball HQ analyst, Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Always good to be here. Lots of news going on this week. Boy, was there ever. And of course, the big news, finally, Bryce Harper has signed a deal. He'll stay in the National League. He'll stay in the National League East, for that matter. He's signed with the Philadelphia Phillies, 13 years, 330 million Walloons. That's a pretty good payday for Bryce Harper. But what does it mean from a fantasy perspective? Well, you know, it's one of those things where, where Bryce Harper, if you've, if you've had him as a, he, he's going to be a good ball player on your fantasy team. The question is, how much do you want to pay for him? And over the past, since uh, 2015, uh, $40 player in 2015, a $20 player in 2016, and I guess the best we could say is you're going to get something somewhere in between. Uh, the big bugaboo with Bryce Harper in terms of fantasy value has always been batting average, and that's dependent a lot on his hit rate. When his hit rate was up at 37% in 2015, he had 330, and then you've got an absolute gem of a ball player. When it was down to 27% in 2016, he had 243. And uh, then you've got a more like a twenty-dollar ball player. So, uh, if you're if you're in a, if you're in a league that focuses on batting average, uh, there's going to be some variability with Bryce Harper. If you're in an OBP league, uh, this is a guy who gets on base a lot, but his on base average in 2015 of 460 and 2017 of 413, always an on base percentage above uh, above 370 over the last four years. So, uh, he's really a gem in an on base league. Uh, in Philadelphia, it's kind of hard to tell. Sample size is very small over the last three seasons. In Citizens Bank Park, it's hit, uh, it's uh, only 73 at bats and hit six home runs, and that's good, but the batting average leaves a little to be desired at 233. So, uh, it's a good venue. It's a good place for him to show his power. Uh, we'll have to see how everything shakes out. Yeah, I really took to heart what you said about on-base percentage leagues and the uh, just tremendous walk rates the last few years, 19, 17, 14, and 19 again last year. That's drawing a lot of walks, and that's super important. Not so much for batting average, and we've talked about this before, but we have research at BaseballHQ.com 
uh, over the years that suggests that walk rate is not very closely tied to batting average, but it is really closely tied to power. And uh, the fact that uh, Bryce Harper can continue to draw this many walks indicates that he's patient at the plate, he looks for pitches he can hit hard, and as a general rule, he tends to hit them pretty hard. His hard contact index is routinely above league average, and that's not easy to do in a situation where he's not actually making that much contact. He also strikes out a fair amount. He dipped under 70% contact rate last year, for example, and that's a bit of a concern for the batting average again. Also, a bit of a concern for his counting stats in, run, in runs, and uh, especially in RBIs. So it's kind of a mixed bag here, and I really thought when you said uh, the question is how much do you pay, were you a little bit surprised as I was that, that the Phillies paid this much? Yeah, I was a bit surprised that they paid that much because there's uh, there is so much uh, uh, so much variability in in Bryce Harper's performance, and there's no doubt this is a great ball player. But in terms of fantasy, he may not even be a first round pick, maybe an early second round, late first round, early second round, uh, that kind of thing in terms of fantasy. And I think the, I would not let the uh, the overinflated price tag. Uh, encourage you to make him a first round pick necessarily, depending on what's uh, what else is available to you as you're going through your draft. And of course, baseballhq.com has a projection on Bryce Harper. You have to take this with an understanding that projections are inherently variable, but he's a $25 player in the projection, looking at 35 homers, about 90 RBIs, about the same amount of runs, and a batting average in the mid-260s. So that's that's an acceptable player, but certainly is not Mike Trout or Mookie Betts or even Christian Yelich. Right, absolutely. And as the forecaster said, tough to draft a sub-250 batting average in the first round. Uh, but, of course, someone probably will. Speaking of big names, Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers ace, uh, sure Hall of Famer, has been dealing with some inflammation and discomfort in his left throwing shoulder, and he even took a few days off of his scheduled spring training routine. Uh, This news, by the way, came out literally moments after I drafted Kershaw at the end of the fourth round in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. I and all of Clayton Kershaw's owners got some good news on Sunday when Dave Roberts, the manager, said it looks like what he called a temporary setback, and he fully expects Kershaw to be the opening day starter. And he said Roberts will not be going for an MRI, which is good news in a sort of oblique backwards way. Jock Thompson covers the Dodgers for playing time today, so what's his take on Clayton Kershaw? Well, you know, at this point, uh, you know, the, the latest announcement came two days after what was described as a discouraging throwing session. So we really don't know what's going on. Uh, the Dodgers at this point don't think it's too serious. Uh, but with Clayton, Clayton Kershaw, you've got to remember he's, he's aging. Uh, and there's a, there is an injury tag there uh, as a result of, uh, of the last couple of seasons when he's had, had problems and wound up on the DL for, for a time. So it's got to be concerning for those who've drafted him. Uh, on the other hand, uh, he is a, a great enough pitcher that if he drops down in drafts because of this, uh, somebody to definitely snatch up because the uh, uh, the ceiling is sky high here. And uh, so unless there's a serious, serious injury that's going to keep him off the field, uh, Clayton Kershaw is somebody you want in your staff, but just not in the first or second round. So let's presume that uh, uh, BaseballHQ.com has knocked down Kershaw's overall expected playing time by a little bit, not a lot, but that should create some openings, and heaven knows the Dodgers have enough depth in their pitching rotation that there should be somebody ready to step into the gap. There should indeed, and they've got, they've got really uh, two uh, outstanding possibilities uh, to come in. Uh, they, they said, uh, first of all, to update the news on Kershaw, he had a good long toss uh, session on uh, the 28th of February, uh, and so they're just waiting to see how his shoulder responds 
uh, after the day after that, that long toss session, but that was encouraging. Uh, Dodgers have said that, um, Dave Roberts has said that uh, Julio Urias, uh, the door is wide open for him to start the season in the rotation. Uh, and of course, uh, that would be a major get for fantasy players because Julio Urias is another guy with a sky high ceiling, but also an injury tag. And we're sure the Dodgers will at least limit his innings. Uh, so keep an eye on that one. And then, of course, Ross Stripling doesn't have a role at the moment. And Ross Stripling's another guy who could easily step right into the rotation and do very, very well. I was going to mention Ross Stripling. Brandon Cruz, uh, an analyst at BaseballHQ.com, analyzed Stripling recently in Facts and Flukes. It's a column that comes out regularly looking at particular players and analyzing their performance over the previous season and the last few and talks about what to expect. And Brandon Cruz likes what he sees with Ross Stripling. Yeah, he does. I mean, as, as, uh, as Brandon mentioned, Ross Stripling had a breakout season in 2018 with only only 122 innings pitched, but uh, a 3.02 ERA, 1.19 whip, uh, more than a strikeout per inning. Um, and uh, Brandon, the question Brandon was asking is, is can he repeat that? Is he a, uh, a front-end starter? And uh, Stripling has certainly shown uh, his growing skills for several years now, straight-line improvements in DOM, command, XERA, BPV, and really posted elite skills uh, last season. Among uh, pitchers with at least 120 innings pitched, he was fifth in command, 16th in XERA, eighth in BPV. So this is a guy who's got the who's got the goods. Uh, he did see his ERA balloon in the second half, but that was mostly due to a, a lot of bad luck, a 35% hit rate, a 26% home run per fly rate, and some injuries to his toe and his back. So uh, still posted elite command and BPV rates even in the second half. So... Uh, there's probably, even if Stripling does not make the rotation to start the season, uh, the Dodger rotation is a bit shaky. Uh, several guys in there, Kershaw, uh, Kenta Maeda, and others who could uh, not find themselves a Rich Hill uh, on the mound every single day. So Stripling will undoubtedly get some chances to start, uh, and that makes him worth a look in a, in a fantasy draft, especially as you get down to a deep, an ADP of around 220. Yeah, the Dodgers have announced Maeda is going to start the season as a starter, and uh, but there there is a lot of injury risk. You mentioned Kershaw and Rich Hill, Hyunjin Ryu is also a health risk, an F health grade in the forecaster. So it seems like Stripling's going to have a shot at some starts. I guess the question, Nick, is going to be how many starts because, of course, it's going to be somewhat tough to generate fantasy value if he's uh, if he's in some kind of swing role. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think you're going to have to count on, on him really being in swing role. Uh, he'll he'll probably get my I, my guess is we're talking about the same kind of situation as a year ago. Uh, overall, he's going to get 120 innings pitched. Uh, we might you might be very lucky if he gets 150. Uh, I'm probably not going to get 200. So of course, who does these days? But uh, so count on Stripling if you draft him as someone who's going to give you uh, maybe over 100 innings pitched, but not not a huge huge amount. Nick, uh, over at BaseballHQ.com, this was the week for the Lima Target articles in the Buyer's Guides column. Stephen Nickrand, who does such a great job for us in the Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide, looked at one pitcher in particular that I thought caught my eye, and that's Corbin Burns, the right-hander in Milwaukee, who's moving into the rotation there, or maybe going to the or rotation might be moving there. into the rotation. Yeah. Uh, Stephen said that Corbin Burns had a strong debut as a reliever last season, uh, expected to transition back to the rotation or at least compete for a role in the rotation at this point. Uh, missed a lot of bats, a 16% swinging strike rate, uh, skills of 1086 uh, BPV. So it uh, looks like really a mid-three ERA pitcher, 3.55 XERA, 
uh, at league at age 24, a good investment, especially if you're in a keeper league. But someone else was mentioned in that column too, and that's Brandon Woodruff, uh, also a very intriguing and overlooked pitcher as we head into the season. Uh, finished the season with a flourish out of the bullpen, showing good skills as a starter in the minors. Uh, made significant gains against the lefties last season, 1.9 command versus lefties in 2017, 2.8 command versus lefties in 2018. So some sneaky value perhaps from Brandon Woodruff if he gets a rotation spot. And at this point, Woodruff and Corbin Burns and uh, Freddie Peralta are all competing for the uh, the fifth spot, and the manager says they're all on an even footing uh, at this point in the, in the uh, preseason. Something to watch. I don't know. Maybe Burns might benefit from a little recency bias in the playoffs last year, pitching against the Rockies and the Dodgers. He had nine innings, struck out 11 guys, and held those strong batters to a 138 batting average. So that'll play in his uh, advantage, I should think. But of course, spring training will tell the story. Another aspect of this to think about is while there's only one spot open in that Milwaukee rotation right now, one of those slots is held by Jimmy Nelson, who's coming off a fairly serious injury background as well. There may be two slots before too long. That's indeed true. As, as, as most rotations, we're, we're not going to go into the season and expect all five starters to, to hang in there for the entire season. So there certainly could be another spot open, uh, as you said, with Jimmy Nelson's injury history. Uh, and uh, they, may, in fact, may be wanting to manage some innings as they get into the season. There's also Zachary Davies uh, in the mix. I don't know about his certainty in that regard either. So it looks like this is not just a question of four sure thing starters plus one of the three for the fifth slot. I think this is one of those situations where we could at the end of the season be looking back and see, you know, six or seven pitchers who had 18, 21 starts apiece. Right. I think that very, very well could be, could be the case. Staying with the Lima theme, Nick, bullpen buyer's guide columnist Doug Dennis also had some names that we should be looking at, including San Diego relief pitcher Jose Castillo. Doug likes Castillo, but notes that he's had some arm problems. Well, you know, Castillo is, uh, is uh, uh, Doug, Doug uh, wrote in his column to get Jose Castillo right uh, kind of second behind uh, Dylan Batances in terms of, uh, of relievers with a uh, a. Uh, Strike rate minus walk rate over the last uh, projected over this coming season. Dylan Batas is at 11, Jose Castillo at 9.2. Um, and then, of course, the day after Doug writes his column, and the day after I write Jose Castillo down as somebody I'm going to go after in drafts, especially at a 500-plus uh, ADP, uh, we get news that Jose Castillo has uh, been shut down with a, uh, a forearm tightness issue. And uh, so we don't know what that is yet. Uh, certainly, uh, I and anyone else who's interested in Jose Castillo are going to be watching and seeing whether this is something serious or just a minor thing uh, because we're, we're getting back underway and starting spring training. But not not to worry. Uh, Doug has a lot of other relievers. In fact, there were a total of 20 relievers that he listed in that article, all of whom are worthy lemur targets. Uh, and Doug gives you lots of data and lots of names to look at. So, uh Plenty to, to digest in Doug's uh, outstanding column as uh, you look for somebody to fill in a, a Lima spot uh, in your relief staff. Yeah, it's quite a list. Uh, some of the other national leaguers, A.J. Minter in Atlanta, uh, uh, we mentioned Jose Castillo, but uh, a guy named uh, uh, Zamora with the Mets, another left-hander, and uh, 
Steve Sisek, a past closer, is going to be in that Chicago Cubs mix with uh, Brandon Morrow on the shelf. It's a really interesting column. Doug does such a great job for us. It's a, it's a terrific column to read, and I urge everybody to check that out. Uh, Nick, uh, thanks very much for checking it out on our behalf. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. Good to be back again. You're, I know you're uh, on your way to Phoenix to watch some spring training games. They've begun. Uh, baseball's just around the corner, if we could even say it. We've rounded the corner. We're getting ready to watch some spring training. We're beginning to get a few more signings in the American League as well as the inevitable injury news. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez, to start us off, has signed in Minnesota. Get a two-year deal there. Rick Green wrote this up for BaseballHQ.com. Marwin Gonzalez was also part of a recent Facts and Flukes column, uh, Performance Validation. So how does this signing look for Marwin Gonzalez, and what does the signing do for the Twins lineup? You know, I I really like this signing by the Twins. Uh, um, this team has had so much inconsistency and so many injuries from too many of their regulars, uh, uh, including Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano and Jorge Polanco last year. And of course, now their primary first baseman is CJ Crone, who's hardly the model of stability. Um, offensively, Marlin has had some big years over the past four or five years with Houston, but it, it, and he's bounced around a little bit with respect to the numbers. I don't think he's close to come coming to his 23 home runs and 303 batting average of 2017 but he's going to get his 15 home runs and he's going to get a 260 270 batting average and the versatility he already provides in 25 qualifying at first base second base shortstop in the outfield is really premium and it's and that sort of thing is really underrated he's no doubt going to add third base to his uh to his qualification given uh, that Miguel Sano is uh, right now at least the twins third baseman I actually think we're under-projecting his at-bats here. We have him at 370-something. He's had 450 at-bats in each of the past three seasons in Houston. I don't see how he gets much less than that in uh, in Minnesota. It's a great signing for the Twins. Yeah, I th- I agree. I think that there's some upside here. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of stolen base upside. Uh, he went from 12 in 2016 to 8 in 2017. That was his big year. And then just two last year, and, and all in pretty similar at-bat totals. So it looks like he's just running less, and that may have been a team decision. That may have been his decision. But the uh, underlying metrics here look pretty good for power. I especially like the fact that at 370-some at-bats, we're projecting him already for 14, and if you give him another 100 at-bats, then all of a sudden you're looking at close to 20, and uh, with a equal rise in runs and RBIs as well from the low 50s, maybe into the mid-60s, all of a sudden this this goes from being a projection that's worth, you know, 10 bucks or so to being a you know, $12, $15 player, and I think it's really within range, especially the other thing I look at is the expected power index last year was a 123, which is really good, and his hard contact index was 105, which is 5% better than league average. I think there's some sneaky power here, and uh, I think maybe that could mean I'm not predicting another 300 batting average, as you said, but we're projecting 268, and I think that might be a bit of a floor. Well, we're heading into the 14th round of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and Marwin Gonzalez is still on the board. And, of course, there's that little bit of extra value from all the position flexibility as well, and not so much a big deal in mixed leagues where the uh, free agent pool is a little deeper. But this uh, this is all 
a fairly interesting reason to take a long look at Marwin Gonzalez. I think you're right about that. Uh, obviously, Marwin's departure also affects Houston. He was all over the field for the Astros. And I know you looked at this in your Playing Time Tomorrow space. You cover the American League West in the Playing Time Tomorrow articles for BaseballHQ.com. Jock, uh, what happens in Houston now that Marwin's not there to be the man of all trades? Well, Houston's obviously the rich team in the uh, AL West here. And they, they brought in Aledmus Diaz from Toronto, as you know. And uh, they're going to try, I think, to plug Aledmus Diaz into the Marwin Gonzalez role. It'll be interesting to see how he fares there because I don't think he has a lot of outfield experience. So a lot of that's going to depend on the glove. But Diaz isn't a bad player. I mean, if you look at his numbers, they're, they're, they were pretty close to, in fact, in some respects, better than Marwin's numbers last year. He hit 18 home runs, had a two sixty three batting average. Um, he qualifies at both shortstop and uh and third base already. He'll probably play a little second base. Um, that that Houston infield did get a little banged up last year. Uh, they they hit the hit the DL fairly regularly. And uh, the, the the only thing that that gives me a little pause about Diaz, obviously aside from his glove in the outfield, is Houston's outfield depth is pretty big. And I I talked about that a little bit this week uh, uh, in. Uh, on another on another radio show that I did, but they have Kyle Tucker and Miles Straw looking for playing time too. So I'm not sure Ledma is, is going to get the at bats that Marwin did, but he's an interesting guy to watch. Yeah, Aledmus Diaz played up here in uh, Toronto last year. He kind of bounced around a little bit here as well, and. Uh, Amazingly enough, when I saw this figure for the last three consecutive years, 2016 through 2018, his contact rate has been 85% in all three years. Now, he's struggled to draw walks. He's, he was at 9% a few years ago in St. Louis, down to 5% last year in Toronto. And uh, uh, the fact that he's a pretty free swinger, the contact rate, he, he, he doesn't strike out a lot, but he also doesn't put the ball in play a great deal as well. Uh, he's got a 100 hard contact index, so he's league average in that department. I think there's some opportunity here for him to maybe ring up the same sort of 18 home runs in 400 plate appearances that he did in Toronto or 450 plate appearances I guess but like you said I think the risk here is that he's not going to get the plate appearances in Houston that he did in Toronto because they just have more options. Yeah, that's exactly right, and, and that's exactly what I'm seeing in Aledmus Diaz as well. This is a very deep Houston team. He's going to be very valuable in the infield. Whether he can eke out some outfield bats remains to be seen. Well, let's stay in Houston. Jock, rookie Josh James was seemingly a slight favorite in his battle to land the number five rotation spot in Houston. And boy, you, any pitchers in the rotation in Houston, you got to like because they're such a good team. There's wins to be had there. They've got a solid bullpen to protect leads. But now Josh James has been diagnosed with a quad injury, and those are bad for pitchers, as we know. You looked at the Astros' opening day rotation outlook and playing time tomorrow this week as all this was happening. So give us an update on the Houston rotation and especially how this week's news about Josh James affects the situation in Astroland. Well, from my vantage point in Southern California, which isn't saying much, uh, obviously I'd I probably know as little as anybody. This really doesn't sound too serious at first blush. I'm reading that James is reportedly already throwing on flat ground again, but they obviously don't want to rush him. Peacock is is extremely capable. Uh, If you remember a couple of years ago when he went into the rotation, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at his numbers. He uh, he tossed 132 innings, most of which as as a starter, I think 120 innings of them, and he posted a three a 3.00 ERA that featured an 11.0 DOM, 
12% uh, swinging strike rate and a 2-8 command. He rejoined the pen last year just because Houston was so loaded. I, I think he could he could start again and be and be very very good. Uh, um, I uh, the only thing Houston is saying right now is that James is out of the start the running for the rotation in the early going. Uh, they want to get him healthy. They'll probably put him in uh, short relief then long relief. But both of these pitchers longer term this year um, from a bottom line skill standpoint, they they get a lot of swings and misses and a lot of walks. They seem almost interchangeable. These are good long relief swingman skills. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see both figure in starts and long relief roles at different points of 2019, depending on performances and injuries. So if I were James, a James owner, I wouldn't drop their guy just yet. No, I wouldn't either. And I like Josh James, especially in keeper leagues, because I think he's going to grow into a full-time rotation role at some point in the future. I just am very concerned that it's not going to be this year. BaseballHQ.com has Josh James projected right now for 116 innings, and uh, that includes uh, you know some starts and some relief appearances. But 116 innings is not really enough to qualify him as a starter in a mixed league because you generally are looking for 140 or something like that. But the flip side is we're also projecting a 365 ERA, which is pretty good, and a 118 whip, which is really good. And those will be helpful statistics it's just you'd like them to be helpful over 160 innings rather than 110 yeah you would i think you're talking about uh days days that are long gone now i'll tell you what the other thing i like about uh josh james is his strikeouts uh huge swing and miss 179 strikeouts last year i think it, it between double a AA and triple a um and I want to say it's a, he had 119 innings or something like that. It was an amazing performance. He was the Astros organizational pitcher of the year. I like him long-term in keeper leagues as well. What does Houston have behind Brad Peacock if another arm goes down? Yeah, that's that's the real question here. And actually, they have some interesting depth. Um, they have uh, uh, Framber Valdez and, and Sionel Perez both have uh, promising minor league track records and MLB experience uh, from last year. They both showed some flashes. I, uh, like I said in my column, Valdez was particularly effective. 37 innings, uh, 219 ERA, 3.61 expected ERA, down the stretch last year in August and September. He's essentially a two-pitch lefty, and he's probably ticketed for long relief, the bullpen longer term. But he posted a 70% ground ball rate and an 8.3 dom. He struggled with walks. He had a 5.8 control last year. But this is another versatile arm that I think fits really well in the Astros scheme of things. Uh, I would not be surprised to see him get starts also this year and also draw long relief assignments similar to Brad Peacock and uh, Josh James. In that same playing time tomorrow column when you were covering the American League West, you mentioned a, another pitcher, Lou Trevino of the A's, and he showed up in uh, our bullpen analyst Doug Dennis's Lima reliever column. Let's talk about Lou Trevino of the A's. He looked pretty good last year, but where does he fit into an Oakland pen that has Blake Trinan? Yeah, Lou Trevino looked really good last year. In fact, it was his MLB, it was his major league debut. He posted a 2.92 ERA, 3.2. Five expected ERA, a swinging strike rate of 15%, all pitching off a 97-mile-an-hour um, fastball. And his ground ball rate was pretty decent, too, 47%. This is a guy who has a chance to grow and, and get better. Um, he's actually both behind Trinan and uh, uh, Fernando Rodney and Joaquin Soria, who are going to be setting up Trinan this year. 
Trevino saved eight games last, or I'm sorry, four games last year, and he won eight, which gives you an idea how Oakland mixes and matches their pitchers. Um, this is a team uh, that is going to have a, a really sketchy rotation. They're going to leave a lot of innings on the table. Um, Trevino is going to find himself in the in the middle of games. Uh, they have an, uh, Oakland has an offense, I should add, that's going to keep him in a lot of these games too. So I'm gonna, I'm expecting a lot of relatively high scoring games uh, in, in Oakland, and and the bullpen has a chance to uh, win and and save a lot of games beyond trying and. I like Lou Trevino. I think he could post something very similar to what he did last year, and he posted a, a, a $10 year 5x5 five five out of the pen in 2018. Mostly made up of the wins, of course. Uh, good decimals, but so few innings that they're not really going to make a huge hit on a, on your uh, overall ERA and whip standings in a fantasy context. Now, this is a situation, Jock, where I like Lou Trevino if you have a deep enough reserve list that you can stash him away because uh, Blake Trinan, you know, if he should happen to falter, come down with injury, or be traded if the uh, A's fall out of contention, then all of a sudden you're looking at a couple of fairly long-in-the-tooth uh, guys in, the, in that second and third slot, and the A's might want to start looking at Lou Trevino to think maybe he's the closer of the future. That's a very good point, and given the way the A's are, if they fall out of the running this year, Blake Trinan will be on the block fairly quickly, and, and Lou Trevino does seem to be the closer of the future, at least right now at this point in time for Oakland. So it's a pretty valid point you just made, PD. And Oakland has a track record of developing closers, like creating closers out of nothing and then wheeling them because they uh, they can get better value for a closer because they know they can always make another one. It's a, it's a really smart way of running things. Finally, the veteran Irvin Santana, we talked about the Twins. He left the Twins and agreed to a minor league deal with Chicago. The White Sox are uh, rebuilding, and he seems like a bit of a surprise for a rebuilding club. $4.3 million base contract if he makes the team. Rick Green wrote this up in Playing Time Today. What does Rick think about the likelihood of Irvin Santana having a fantasy impact in Chicago, and what do you think? Well, I'm looking at Rick's write-up right now, and, and, and Chicago needs pitching, at least at the back end. Um, he's going to join Dylan Covey and Manny Benuelos as the early front runners for the fifth starter spot, I think. Uh, he was awful last year. Obviously, he, he had had um, uh, finger tendon surgery um, and he had all kinds of problems gripping the ball coming back. I remember he was on my team, and I think we talked about him a little bit last year when he was in the middle of his comeback. He he could never get his velocity, could never grip the ball. He made five starts. He had an ERA over eight. He finally shut it down for the year. Apparently, he's he's much better now. This is a guy who we always say that spring training doesn't mean that much. Well, for guys like Irvin Santana, it does. If he has his velocity back, if he shows he can get through hitters a couple of innings, I would go after Irvin Santana. He's 36 years old, um, but he's got a, a pretty good track record. He can get you an ERA under four if he's healthy. Uh, may not win a few games, may not win many games with the White Sox. Uh, and again, it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, a team in such rebuilding mode like the White Sox were the ones to pick up on him. But uh, I would take a flyer on Irvin Santana, depending on his spring. Yeah, Irvin Santana is one of these guys. He's been around forever. I'm, I was looking at his historical stats and it's sprinkled in a bunch of minus value seasons in 5x5. Five five. There's a couple that just jump out at you. There's a $22 season in 2008, and there's a $24 season in 2017. And these were terrific years by anybody's standards. And we like to say at BaseballHQ.com that once you display a skill, you have it. But uh, I don't know if the same thing is true of, of displaying a value, because in both of those instances, 
the value was largely driven by wins, a 16-win season in 2017 and then a 16-win season back in 2008 as well. He also had a 17-win season and, and actually didn't earn that much because his other, other numbers were not that great. Uh, I think the temptation here for fantasy owners is to look at a guy like Irvin Santana and say, boy, he's not that far removed from a $24 season in 2017. I'm willing to take the chance. And depending on where you are in the draft, I think it's an okay chance to take, but I would caution against like anticipating that, that the 2017 season is, again, right around the corner. I think there's a lot of risk here. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He's a back-end guy. You're, you're basically taking the chance that uh, he's going to get his velocity back, um, that uh, he's at least going to win a few games on this team um, if you if you if you don't believe that he will, definitely don't take that chance because a lot of his value probably is going to be priced into the wins that he gets. Yeah, and the strikeouts are not likely to be there either. His peak strikeout was in uh, 2014. He was at 8.2 strikeouts per nine. The last couple of full years, he was at seven and a half and seven. And then last year, injury riddled year, as you, as you mentioned, under six. We're projecting 6.6 strikeouts per nine, and, and we're only projecting 100 innings, so uh, he's going to get fewer strikeouts than a lot of good relief pitchers, and I think, depending on where you are in the draft again and what your situation is, I don't know. Irvin Santana maybe looks to me like a guy, if he's not drafted because he's shaky in spring training or doesn't impress, maybe a guy to keep an eye out uh, during the season in the free agent pool if he seems to be turning it around, but... Personally, I'm not that confident that there's going to be a big turnaround. I think maybe at best you're going to get like a $0, $1 pitcher. Yeah, although it's interesting. When you look at his 2018, he, he threw 25 innings. Four of the five years before that, he threw over 180 innings, including two in, two years of 211 innings. So um, those stats can add up, and those were two of his $15. Those were, were a $15 season and a $23 season. So he is a workhorse, and if, if, if there's nothing wrong with his arm. It's all in his finger. So, it, uh, I, again, I'm going to look hard at this spring, and uh, we'll see what happens with Irvin Santana. All right, Chuck, well, off to Phoenix with you. Uh, I hope you have a good time out there, and we'll talk to you again in a week. Yeah, we will. Okay, PD, see ya. Thanks. Jock Thompson is Baseball HQ's Director of News and Analysis and our man on the American League beat for Baseball HQ Radio. When we return, our Baseball HQ commentaries, frequent flyer, position preview, and master notes all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show and I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time tomorrow, Brian Slack looks at the National League West, including the Diamondbacks pitching, the Rockies catching, and the Dodgers everything. In the GM's office, Ray Murphy looks at some outtakes from the great first pitch survey. And in research, Eric Floramonte looks at new expected dominance and expected swing metrics, and Jeff Zimmerman will shortly be up with a study of how well players perform when they switch teams. And those are just some articles among dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. Player performance validation in facts and flukes, news updates in playing time today, roster forecasts in playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers, fantasy market analysis, plus tools like the player projections, daily dashboard, leading indicators, and other content and tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. 
and welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have the Market Watch position preview and master notes. And leading off, it's the Frequent Flyer commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyer is White Sox pitcher Dylan Cease. And here to tell you more, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Opponents bet at a paltry 189 against him in 2018 through two levels of the minors. And he's only getting better. But when will the question cease about Dylan Cease's arrival on the south side of Chicago? Maybe not anytime soon. We're seeing 2020. Well, at least we're predicting they'll make his Major League debut in 2020, that is. But there's a pretty good chance that Dylan Cease could arrive sometime after the All-Star break in 2019. Why? Dylan Cease might be forcing the issue. Let's take a closer look. After posting a 9-2 record with a 2.89 ERA at Class A Advanced Winston-Salem in 2018, this 23-year-old White Sox prospect dazzled after his promotion to A, where he struck out 160 batters in only 23 games, or 124 innings pitched. That translates to an outstanding dominance rate of 13.5 strikeouts per nine at the A level, far exceeding our nine strikeouts per nine benchmark for baseball's best pitchers at BaseballHQ.com. And while we're on the subject of nines, Perhaps it's worth noting that we've assigned a prospect potential rating of 9E for Dylan Cease. The potential ratings at BaseballHQ.com are a two-part system, in which players are first assigned a number rating of 1 to 10 for upside, then a letter rating of A to E for the probability of reaching that upside. So Dylan Cease's 9E rating means that we see him as an elite player in terms of upside, but we believe he only has a 10% probability of reaching that elite upside. That's why Dylan Cease, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Still, the hard-throwing righty is capable of hitting triple digits with a tantalizing fastball that normally sits in the mid to high 90s with natural sink and little horizontal movement. And, according to the 2019 Minor League Baseball Analyst, Dylan Cease's above-average arsenal also features a 12-6 curveball that has plus-plus potential, along with a decent slider and a changeup that has arm-side fade. All this adds up to an appearance on our Top 10 Starting Pitching Prospect Rankings for 2019 and an inclusion on our 2019 Top 75 Impact Prospects list both found at BaseballHQ.com. Plus, after coming to the south side in the 2017 trade that sent pitcher Jose Quintana to the crosstown rivals at Wrigleyville, the White Sox seemed lucky to have Dylan Cease. And you will feel lucky too when you consider adding Dylan Cease as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has the frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for position previews. These are based on the excellent work being done by Matthew Cedarholm at BaseballHQ.com's Market Pulse column. And here with the scan of outfielders, 
is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. The universal draft grid from our 2019 Baseball Forecaster shows the top three tiers for outfield include 35 strong plays. Owners in 15-team mixed leagues with five outfielders should shoot for two or three from these 35, then complete their outfield and perhaps fill their utility slots with two or three from the next two tiers, which have 66 solid targets. The league breakdown is about even, so 10-team only leaguers should have a shot at five each. There will be lots of competition for five category contributors, so if you miss out on them, plan ahead whether you can balance going for steals-only outfielders who will hurt you at other categories, or pursue power assets at the draft and hope to find stolen bases via trades or fishing in the free agent pool. In his outfield market pulse analysis, Matt Cederholm says outfielders projected for 20 or more home runs are readily available in the endgame. But he warns that some highly touted youngsters look too costly. So let's start with those shiny new objects. Ronald Acuna's early ADP of 8 is a significant risk because he has fewer than 500 major league plate appearances. We have Acuna ranked at 33, making him a third rounder. Acuna's average auction value is $38, 11 more than our projected value of 27. Classmate Juan Soto is more likely to return full value. His projected worth and auction cost are exactly equal at $25. Soto is going at pick 31, only three slots sooner than our ranking of 34. Eloy Jimenez looks to be Major League ready at age 22. Cedarholm says Jimenez is a great play for 2020, but there are too many questions in 2019. His average auction value of $12 is an overpay of $7 more than our $5 in projected value. And he's going in round 8 at pick 116, twice as early as our round 16 ranking of 235. Victor Robles is overvalued due to his speed in an era of stolen base scarcity. His anticipated future value is baked into an AAV of $13, $4 more than our projected value of $9. And his round 7 ADP of 102 is four rounds earlier than our round 11 ranking of 159. With only 98 games above single A, there are risks in rostering Robles. But if you're in a keeper league, get his speed now and his power later. Alex Verdugo has a round 26 ADP of 384. That's 438 picks ahead of his 822 ranking. Verdugo can contribute in batting average, runs, and RBIs. Over five minor league seasons, he has a slash line of 309, 367, 444. That's an OPS of 811. While Verdugo is fighting for playing time, Jesse Winker has been handed the right field job in Cincinnati. He had a major league OPS of 11.10 on a slash line of 4.11, in July before his right shoulder gave way. We have Winker ranked in round 10 at 137 and his round 14 ADP of 196 represents a four-round discount. Some guy named Harper finally signed with the Phillies for more money than any other player ever, but hey, forget his average annual salary, his average auction value is only $29, $4 above our projected value of 25 Harper's ADP is in round 2 at 20, just ahead of our round 3 ranking at 36. Yet, Cedarholm advises avoiding Harper and targeting Justin Upton 5 rounds later in round 7 at ADP 96, 3 rounds past our round 4 rank of 49. At $14 in auctions, Upton is going for half the price of Harper, $6 below our projected value of $20.
Cedarholm is not kind to Aaron Judge either, calling him the 2019 version of Adam Dunn, a big power target in OBP leagues, but not worth the reach in batting average leagues. Tommy Pham may not be worth the fourth round pick he'll cost you at ADP 57. We have Pham ranked two rounds later at 89 due to his reliability grades of C, C, and F. Instead, target Lorenzo Cain and George Springer. Kane is the better bargain, especially if you're hunting steals. And speaking of hunting steals, early spring training sensation Byron Buxton is going in round 12 at 171, 328 picks ahead of our round 34 ranking at 499. He's projected for 15 stolen bases, and he's sandwiched between two other outfielders projected for 15 and 18 stolen bases, Harrison Bader and Ramon Laureano. Bader and Laureano are both going only two rounds ahead of their rankings, making them better buys. In the endgame, Avisiel Garcia's reliability grades of DCF add risk, but he has a lineup spot and with health should be good for a 20-home run season. We have Garcia ranked in round 12 at 178, and he's going 11 rounds later at 336. If Cole Calhoun's first-half struggles were due to the strained oblique that sent him to the injured list June 2, he's worth a gamble in round 24 at his ADP of 378. We have Calhoun ranked in round 19 at 278. To recap, target two or three from the top three tiers and two or three from the next two tiers. Once the five category contributors are gone, know whether you'll go for the remaining steals-only outfielders or for the more plentiful asset of power. For a precise picture of player rankings and values specific to your leagues, use the custom draft guide at BaseballHQ.com. And stay ahead of your league mates with our Market Pulse series. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick has our position previews all during spring training. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to talk about some rookie takes on snake mistakes. As you probably heard on CNN, I'm in my first snake draft league in quite a few years. It's the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, a 15-team mixed snake draft league following the NFBC format, which includes an overall championship involving all 195 expert teams. Now, I'm not expecting to contend for the overall title, but I'd like to make a decent showing in my league for my first time back. And if I want to do that, I'm going to have to make fewer mistakes. The draft started last Sunday, that's February 24th if you're keeping score at home, but my mistakes actually started a week or so earlier, with the Kentucky Derby system for choosing my draft slot. I set up my preferences looking for spots on the ends, naturally hoping to land high and get Trout, Betts, or Ramirez, or at the end to have the wheel at the end of the odd rounds. So I entered 1, 2, 3, 4, 15, 14, 13, 12 as my first eight choices and left all the middle slots for somebody else. That was a mistake. As a rookie, I should have figured my safest slot would be somewhere in the middle for two solid reasons. First, if I was around 7, 8th, or ninth, I would never be further than 17 picks from my next turn. And second, as a result, I would avoid the hazard of getting caught on the wrong end of a run, especially on starters and closers. But because of how I entered my slot preferences and the luck of the draw, I got draft slot number 14, which is fine for an experienced owner, but not so good for a newbie. Through the first 10 rounds, I was caught about three times missing on the starts of runs, twice on starters and then on the top closers. As Fred Bonehead Merkel once said, Oops. 
My next source of confusion was my first visit to the website draft room, where a gigantic 4,00 sat in the upper left corner, right below a notation that said, Round 1, Pick 1. I had been nervous about being under time pressure to make my picks, but 4 minutes per pick, that seemed like more than enough time, even for a novice like me. But then I started thinking, that's always a bad idea, and I calculated that with 23 regular rounds and 7 reserve rounds, we'd have 450 draft picks, and at 4 minutes per, that would take 30 hours to complete. Even if we scorched through at a minute apiece, we were still looking at almost 8 hours, which threatened my plan to watch the last episode of True Detective with Mrs. Masternotes. So I figured I wasn't reading 4 minutes 0 seconds per pick, it was saying four hours, no minutes, for the whole draft. That's my kind of deal. But then I started thinking again, and I calculated that making 450 picks in just four hours would be around a half a minute per pick, definitely not a comfortable pace for this novice. I concluded there must be something else going on, so I used the chat feature to ask how long we get for each pick. One of the guys in the league posted right back, four hours, he said. It's a slow draft. Slow draft, I'll say. You've probably read or heard a thousand times that the first tenet of fantasy drafting is know the rules of your league. I'm sure I've said it here and elsewhere more than a few times. So, as Mrs. O'Leary's cow once said, moo-oops. I thought my next mistake was how I responded to the closer run in the sixth round. I had second pick in that round coming off the wheel. Edwin Diaz had gone off the board in the fourth, but that didn't start a run. I wondered if I should try to start the closer run by taking Blake Trinan at the start of the sixth. I opted not to, in part because of news about Clayton Kershaw. I had drafted Kershaw at the end of round four, which I thought was a fair discount for the news that he had experienced some minor discomfort in spring training. Shortly after I made the pick came the news that the discomfort was not as minor as we had been led to believe, and terms like shoulder inflammation and even MRI were finding their way into the reporter's vocabularies. On that news, I thought I'd better grab a starter, so I took Jose Barrios instead. The closer run started a few picks later, with Trinan followed by Chapman and Jansen, Osuna, Hand, and Kimbrell over the next dozen picks or so. For saves, I got David Robertson in the 12th, as it happens, just a few picks before the owner who started the run with Trinan added starter Cole Hamels. Because I had four hours to consider the question, I ran a simulation to assess my choice. I created two identical seven-pitcher staffs, both with a 355 ERA and 119 whip in exactly 938 innings. To one team, I added my Barrios in the sixth round, Robertson in 12, while the other team got Trinan and Hamels. Using the Baseball HQ projections, the results seemed to favor my Barrios-Robertson in three of the five pitching categories. In wins, Barrios and Robertson added 19 wins, while Trinan and Hamels added 17. In whip, Barrios and Robertson combined with the foundational staff for a 1.181 whip, while Trinan and Hamels were at 119. And in Ks, Barrios and Robertson added 283, 30 better than Trinan and Hamels' 253. The Trinan-Hamels side of the equation was better in the other two categories, but more narrowly. In ERA, Trinan and Hamels ended at 35-18, while Barrios and Robertson were at 35-34. And in saves, Trinan and Hamels had 29 to Barrios and Robertson's 24. These results struck me as pretty close overall, within the margins of error across the board. So, was taking Barrios over Trinan in the sixth a mistake? 
I thought so at first, but I don't think so now. But I also don't think it was a huge tactical gain either. And since so much depends on where the rest of the roster was at the start of the 6th and again at the start of the 12th, it's impossible for me to say which was the right choice, even in hindsight. But overall, lacking in any other grand strategy, my approach was simply to take the best remaining player based on the Baseball HQ projections, and I made some small allowances for position and category situations. To compete in the overall, I've heard any team needs to be in the top 10 or 15% across the board in all 10 categories. As we entered the 15th round, my baseball HQ projections say I will have a competitive team in my league with good balance in the categories, still a little light in saves. And we're down to the dregs of the saves barrel, with risky guys like Drew Steckenrider and Michael Givens out there. Damn, maybe I should have taken Trinan after all. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Master Notes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 1st. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 7 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our news commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky, And our position preview was presented by Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davin, Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to iTunes or Stitcher or Pocket Cast, and if they'll let you, leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday with another Tuesday Tout edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.